Well, hello, everyone. I'm Paul Martin, and I want to welcome you to another edition of Nat Alliance Now. Today, I am joined on our podcast by a person we really admire and really just now getting to know. Her name is Michelle Landver, and Michelle is a, an officer and producer at an agency in California called New Front. Welcome, Michelle. We are really, really glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Well, the reason we asked Michelle to join us for this one is because she was recognized by business insurance with a, a group of people in receiving a breakthrough award. And we always love that stuff when we see young people get recognized for their accomplishments and hard work. And we saw that uh, Michelle was part of that group and she was a CIC. She held us a CIC designation. We thought, oh, she'd be fun to talk to. And then she met one of our staff here at the National Alliance and they came back and said, oh, love Michelle. So, and anyway, that's why we've invited her on to talk about her experience and her agency and, and just about herself. One of the things that I know is challenging is getting into the business, but take us back. Take us back to where you started. How did you get into this whole insurance thing? And a little bit about your path in insurance. Great question. Yes, it, it tends to be one of the first questions I get when I tell people I am an insurance broker. Like, oh, how did you find insurance? It's not one of the careers necessarily that you are taught in, in college to aspire to be or that your family hopes for. But in my situation, uh, my family was in the insurance industry. And so ah. I was born into it. And really the background on that is my grandfather started an independent personalized agency in an area of Los Angeles called Woodland Hills in 1969. Uh, he had worked at the auto club before that and, and started this agency and was one of the first uh, Mercury insurance agents in California. Oh, that's interesting. And then fast forward a number of years, and my mother ended up coming to work for him right after I was born. So we'll just call that the early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was really the, the path that uh, my, my mother took. And, you know, ironically enough, it for me started out as just my summer job where I could go and make, you know, a few bucks an hour opening the mail and filing the paper in the files when we back when we had physical file we had, when you had files yeah exactly <laughs> and uh typing letters to clients on memos with carbon paper so i remember that, that those days as well and you know really it just sort of progressed from there almost accidentally i decided to go to college locally here in los angeles and really enjoyed the aspect of earning my own money and being able to have that sort of Flush fund that I could go to the mall with my friends or go see a movie and I didn't have to ask for money. And so once I was in college, I started taking on more responsibilities at the family agency. I started talking to clients and my mom said, you have to go get your insurance license now. So, okay. So went to downtown LA, took my test and I got my insurance license at 20 years old. That's young. And, you know, it's funny because it's almost like the reverse psychology that parents, and now I have two daughters, so I'm going to remember this tactic, but my mom always said to me, don't stay in insurance, go be, I think you'd be a great attorney. You should go pursue whatever, you know, career is going to make you happy. And so like any good child, I didn't listen to her. And I decided, <laughs> I decided to stay in the business. Although, you know, taking a bit of a pivot, obviously, into the commercial side of the space. But, but that was really how I got started in the early days and really why I'm here today. 
That's cool. That's a good story. I have to admit, my dad was an insurance guy. And I, I got a quick story I got to tell you. You appreciate this. When my father sold his agency in 1969, okay, just when your grandfather was getting going, okay, when my dad sold that agency that he owned, the contract of sale was less than two pages long. Wow. That's how simple it was. Right. It was just, I'm selling you this for this amount of money, and, and it comes with this, and here, sign here, and give me a check. And I, I just, I thought that was remarkable. Because if you've seen contracts now, they're A little just, different today, right? A little different. Yeah, a little <laughs> different. But that was, that was great, reminiscing about carbon paper. Okay, run through the agencies that you have worked for, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So, so from, I, I basically decided once I had graduated college and I was working full time at that point at my family's agency, I just felt like I needed a little bit more of a challenge and wanted to kind of break out and, and do something different than personalized. And I'm very fortunate to have one of my closest friends. She already was working in commercial insurance. And mm -hmm. so she really kind of gave me the suggestion that I might be interested in that side of the business. It was a little bit more of like an outside sales job. You could be interacting with different people all the time, learning about how businesses run. And that seemed intriguing to me. And so from my family's agency, I started at a, a very small independent agency that had recently been acquired by Brown & Brown. Mm -hmm. And it just, uh, because of that recent transition, it just was a little bit of a difficult place for me to get my feet wet. Yeah. So I kind of, quickly made the decision that I wanted to go to an agency that had, was a little bit more, I guess, well-established in terms of who they were and what their operations looked like and where I felt I could maybe receive a little bit more mentorship. And so um, I joined Bolton and Company in Pasadena at that time. I was in 2010. Uh, and while I was there, I was almost exclusively working with a team that focused on nonprofits and private schools. And so, you know, I kind of relating back to National Alliance, during this time, I was taking CISR classes because I was trying to figure out what is commercial insurance. Even though it's the same state license, it's completely different technically. And so I was trying to learn as I went. And then while I was at Bolton, I also took the, um, actually did the Certified School Risk Manager program. I noticed that. Yeah, you have that designation too. So, so it, was, it was a great learning experience for me being there. I worked with amazing people, who, some of whom I'm still in touch with. And I uh, have a ton of respect for that firm. Over the course of my time there, I just started to notice that there were nuances in the way that nonprofits and schools and boards in general look at insurance or look at uh, business decisions that are very different from the private sector. I agree. And so for me, I felt just a little bit more naturally inclined towards working with business owners and entrepreneurs rather than uh, the nonprofit sector. And it was sort of around that point that I made a transition to Marsh. So I joined Marsh December 2012 and immediately sort of placed with or partnered with their retail wholesale practice. So, oh. you know, being in my late 20s at this point, I was thinking, okay, well, insurance on its surface is not the most interesting topic per se, but how can I apply this insurance thing to? Industries that I actually am very interested in. And that's the ticket. Part of my job is to intimately understand my client's business. So what do I want to learn more about? Well, I liked retail, restaurants, consumer products. And that was really the beginning of my 
what is today still my kind of industry specialization, CPG and hospitality. Well, I tell you what, that is, that's good advice. Any, any young producer, what, what do you enjoy? You know, Mm -hmm. I know, I know producers that they write like these odd agricultural risks, but that's what they love. They, They love wearing boots and jeans every day, you know? Yeah. And I also, so I, I, and I noticed that I started noticing the people around me, the veteran producers, the people that were the most successful and that seemed to be enjoying their job on a regular basis as well were industry specialists, whether that's real estate, healthcare, construction, it doesn't really matter. Those people were aspirational for me. And that's why I knew that I wanted to focus. Mm-hmm. And rather than kind of being a jack of all trades and a master of none, I wanted to be an expert. And even though in the beginning of your career, that can be difficult because that means you are maybe passing over some opportunities that are outside of your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I think in the long run, it is you know, the best thing that you can do for yourself and your career. I agree. You know, I've, I've trained producers for many, many years, um, over 20 years, and watched them mature. It's been fun. You know, and they're friends, still friends of mine. We still are close. And I would routinely ask these young, green producers, I would see them at events and conventions and things like that. And I was asked them, I'd say, how long has it been now? And they'll say three years. And I'll say, are you comfortable yet? And they'll say, no, I'm getting there kind of thing. And I've, I finally developed what I consider my, it's my poll average. It takes about seven years before you finally get your feet under you. You feel like you know what you're doing. You're not nervous anymore when you make that first contact with them. You don't feel like they're going to ask you a question you can't address. Mm-hmm. That's a long learning curve. I mean, seven years, mm-hmm. but obviously you made through it. And one of the things is during that, during that time, you'll realize that this is what I really enjoy and this is what I can have success selling. Anyway, that's really, really great. But anyway, I stopped you. Keep going. Right. So after I joined Big Marsh, we'll call them, <laughs> about a couple of years into that, um, during that time, uh, Marsh Independent Agency had had done their first West Coast acquisition of a firm called Bernie Bernie. And it just sort of became clear to me in working in the Southern California market, not a ton of like Fortune 500 companies or a lot of them were leaving at that time. Mm -hmm. So it really is a middle market town. And really now, fast forward to today, and that was, you know, nine, 10 years ago, today it's also a startup town, much in the way that Silicon Valley has been for many years. So I just felt like the MMA model was more conducive to the type of opportunities and accounts that I was focused on. So high growth, emerging and middle market side deals. And so I did an internal transfer. I I kind of raised my hand and and switched over to the MMA side and was there for almost seven years. So I guess you would call it, you know, nine, nine and a half years all in with Marsh McLennan companies before I decided to join the new front organization. And that was in August of 2021. So in that period of time, we had COVID. I had had two daughters. And so <laughs> a lot of change and a lot of things happening as I was continuing to build my book of business. And, you know, frankly, Paul, I wasn't looking necessarily to leave my last firm, but the new front folks approached me and I just was very fascinated by the way that they were talking about their mission and their purpose for being and what they wanted to accomplish. And innovate within the insurance industry. And it really resonated with me. I just sort of wholeheartedly agreed with the changes that I felt needed to happen in our business and just wasn't seeing really take place in any kind of like immediate or near term 
timeline. And so I just kind of fell in love with not only the people there, but also what they were looking to build. And knowing that that wasn't going to be easy and it was a process, I wanted to be early in on that. And it, it got me really excited about, you know, not just my work, but what it can mean for us as, a, as an industry, as a business, how we can be perceived by our clients and what their experience could look like in the future as they interact with their insurance programs. You know, we've seen some insurance innovation when it comes to, you know, B2C, right? Like mm-hmm. going direct, whether that's like a lemonade or, or others where they're kind of selling right. insurance directly to the customer. But we haven't really seen that type of innovation in the commercial space in, you know, in the much larger realm of insurance, which is brokered business. And so that's what I found really exciting and wanted to be a part of. That's great. Yeah. Commercial is a whole different animal than personal lines. It's, it's mm-hmm. just so, there's so much consultation involved and education has to take place, but it's an interesting challenge. And one that I've worked on too, I was part of a tech startup about 10 years ago. They were trying to solve some of those things, but, but anyway, back to you. Why don't you tell us the new front story? Okay, it's not that old of an agency, is it? How old is it? It's not. It's not. I think it's uh, only maybe about seven years old. Okay. But right around the time that I joined the company, they merged with another Bay Area brokerage called ABD Financial Services. And ABD was, you know, a decades old legacy name brand in the Bay Area that had gone through a sale to Wells Fargo Insurance and then was sort of resurrected by the original ABD's founding partner, son, uh, Kurt DeGrasse, and he kind of rebuilt ABD um, in the Bay Area about 10, 12 years ago. And so a very, um, Kurt himself had also started a, a, a tech, a few tech companies, I believe. And so it was very technology focused or tech forward in his mindset and was really trying to bring ABD, you know, modernize where they could and, and innovate where they could within the ABD um, organization. But I think from my understanding of hearing our, our leaders talk about kind of the way that they came together, there's just a recognition that Newfront was doing something really interesting. They were venture capital backed. They had already brought in amazing top talent in Silicon Valley from a technology and engineer perspective. And they thought that rather than trying to do that same thing within their you know, very well-established, very successful brokerage firm. Why not bring these two organizations together? And on the new front side, they recognize an ABD, a deep bench of technical expertise, mm-hmm. a ton of, uh, you know, industry experts internally and reach in areas that they didn't have reach in yet. So for example, like their public DNO team, you know, doing it on a public DNO business in Silicon Valley and new front didn't have any of that going on. So it was a really great opportunity for the two to come together. and. When that happened, right, sort of at the same time as I joined the firm, it basically doubled the size of the company and definitely brought a lot of institutional knowledge and uh, a great bunch of, you know, insurance talent together alongside the tech talent that had been recruited by Newfront. And so ever since that time, the company's been changing and evolving quite a bit, trying to move our mission forward and not, you know, replacing the consultative you know, human capital centric focus of our business, but really augmenting our people, our professionals with technology and with AI and things like that so that we can be more efficient and that our clients can have a better user experience. 
Well, that you did a wonderful job explaining it. And we're at a weird time in the industry because, and that's when I first learned of you and was doing some research on Newfront, I went, this is different. I mean, we've seen all the, the mergers and acquisitions take place over the last 10, 15 years. And some of these agencies have just gotten so big. I mean, they're, it's not like growth oriented. It's just acquisition oriented. Mm-hmm. And you end up having this monster with, you know, 35 locations. And then I've seen all the management problems that, that presents. Is it, mm-hmm. And you have some legacy problems that you drug along with you. It's hard to change cultures. But if you start with something fresh that has a legacy, a good legacy culture in a town, it gives you a whole, that's a whole different deal. And I just think it's fascinating. How did you find out about CIC? Great question. So, yeah, so I, going all the way back to being at my family's agency, and I was thinking I needed to start learning more about the kind of the technical aspects of <laughs> insurance. My same friend who who was working in the business of at the same time, brought up National Alliance. And so I started doing the CISR courses online at the time. And then for me, I just, I really enjoyed that learning aspect. You know, it was, it was an opportunity for me to, I felt kind of shorten that timeline of like that you, that you spoke about earlier. Like I thought to myself, how can I get better and be more successful sooner and kind of shorten that learning curve for myself? I wanted to, to your point, be able to go into a prospect hall and sit across the desk from someone that was a CFO of a company who had been dealing with insurance for many years and not feel completely terrified that they were going to ask me a question that I couldn't answer. And of course, that that happens sometimes. That still happens. I mean, there's always new things and interesting scenarios that clients will bring up <laughs> um, that you have to work through. But you know, I wanted to have a, a stronger foundation of, you know, that baseline of, of understanding the technical That's side. Great. So yeah, for, so for me, after CSR, the natural, natural next step was, okay, how do I level up again? Okay, that means doing CIC. And so immediately started taking those courses, taking the test. A little harder. <laughs> fortunately passing the test. Yeah, I said, oh, it's not multiple choice anymore? You're kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. And I, I continue to enjoy not just taking CIC updates, but you know, I, where I met your colleague was actually at the CRM course. Yeah. So and that's next up on the agenda. And you know, I, I think everything in moderation is sort of my life philosophy. I don't think I need to have every designation in the world, but I do feel like it's incumbent on all of us as professionals who give advice to always be learning and improving ourselves and our skills. And so that's why I feel And know what we're talking about. Right. And especially as I've kind of gone on market and work on larger accounts where I am working with in-house risk managers or in-house general counsels, oftentimes you got to be able to speak the language of T-Core and checklists that, you know, you need to know other things besides property insurance, liability insurance. You, You just need to expand your lexicon so that you can, you know, be that trusted advisor for clients. I have learned too, and I've tried to teach this to producers over the years, that once you get to that level where, where you are now, you can have a big impact because that lawyer really doesn't understand the insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many lawyers, are, they don't really get it. Right. I've had, I've had long conversations on airplanes sitting next to lawyers about the way you know, particular policies work and don't. And he said, well, what about that? I said, that's excluded. And I was like, dude, no, that, you, that doesn't work that way. And I had to explain it to him, but it does make a big difference because it, 
you end up positioning yourself as a trusted advisor, just like a, an accountant or their attorney, and you're just as valuable to them. I know that I know you know all this stuff, but I just want to encourage younger producers that are have been in the business not as long. They need to hear this kind of encouragement that you can do it, that your education makes a big difference, mm-hmm. it builds your confidence, and having the designations to a point. I mean, it does lend credibility to you, even though you may look young and less experienced, it can help you say, no, I've done the work. I do know what I'm doing. But anyway. Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's, a, it's another factor that played into me wanting to continue to get those destinations. Is I didn't want there to be a question about whether I knew what I was doing or not, despite the fact that, you know, I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and, you know, maybe didn't have as much experience as the current broker or another broker that they may be talking to. But if I made that extra effort, and position myself well, then I would have just as good of a chance of winning that business. So, so again, as a salesperson, no. I'm thinking about how do I how do I differentiate and how do I put myself in the best position to win? That's right. How do you win? Okay, advice. I'm going to let you give advice to other young women that have chosen this path that you've chosen and been on. How did you do it? I mean, as a, as a mom, as a mom, <laughs> the, that whole thing. It's, family, work. Do you have any secrets? Do you have any advice for those that are trying to balance? Because the life of a broker producer is very, very busy yeah. and sometimes pressure filled. How have you handled it? Yeah, great question. And, you know, so certainly um, before having kids, I would go to every network, almost every networking event that I could. I was expanding my network. I, you know, have grown my book of business through mostly through referrals and word of mouth. And so that requires me to be out at events and being involved in the community, uh, the business community, nonprofit community, whatever the case might be. And that takes a lot of time. And then, you know, after you have kids, the priorities are different and your your allocation of your time has to change a bit. And so, especially when it comes to like after after normal business hours, you know, evening type of work. Right. So I think, uh, you know, one thing is you just have to really prioritize your time and value your own time uh, in a different way. And, you know, certainly lean on support. I don't do this myself. My husband is a very involved, hands-on father as well. And he also works. So, you know, make sure you're, you're around people that are going to be your partners and supporters uh, in all things, uh, including your career. And I count, you know, friends and family in that category as well. But obviously my, my spouse is the number one on the sure. list. <laughs> but I think it's just also about having grit and persevering. I have had just as many, it, it, and this is so true across industries, right? Like successful people always say, I didn't get here by myself, which is true. It takes a lot of people to support that journey. And it also requires you being able to handle failure quite a bit. And how do you respond and react to that? If you lose an account, you can be upset about it for maybe 24 to 48 hours, but after that, you have to move on. For me, that's motivation for me to work that much harder on prospecting for a new business. I can't be like down in the dumps about it for a month. You have to just kind of push through and, you know, to the best of your ability, not take things too personally. Although I, you know, I struggle with that still because it, it is me that I'm selling and, you know, what's in my brain and like what, you know, who I surround myself with at my firm. So it's hard to totally detach in that regard. But I would say, you know, 
you're not everyone's cup of tea and everyone is not your cup of tea. And I feel like at this stage of my career and as you kind of progress throughout time, you can also become more selective about who you choose to work with, making sure that people are respecting and valuing you and kind of not tolerating anything less than that. And really presenting yourself, like you said, as an advisor, I really do hold myself and my firm and the people within it at a very high degree and high regard, like a company's attorney or their accountant. And as soon as someone, if there's a client that's like wants to treat us like a commodity, it's not a good fit for us. And I move on. I think this next generation of insurance professionals can do a much better job, maybe, than our predecessors of positioning us as advisors rather than you know, comparing us to the car salesman. This is not a price. Yeah. It should not be a price-driven conversation. It's really about risk management. And I think that's where education ties in really nicely. So that's, those are some of the pieces of advice I would have. But I will say it, it, it's not easy. I still kind of have my days where it's really rough. And I'm like, oh. but at the end of the day, I, I do. I really do love what I do. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I'm so grateful for this industry because it affords flexibility of my time, which is another way that I'm able to manage having a family and a career. It enables me to feel fulfilled and enables me to support other colleagues and mentor other people. I, I'm always learning something new, whether it's like cyber insurance. I mean, when I started, that wasn't a thing. I've had to learn that from scratch. <laughs> so it, it's just amazing. I just love this business and I really encourage all young people to, to get into it. But I think it's really particularly an amazing career path for young women. That's great. I don't know if you knew, we now have the CISR program in high schools. Really? And, yes. And they're graduating with their designation and preparing to take their license exam at 18. Wow. And it's, it's not everywhere, but it's in cities. And your kind of advice and encouragement to those young people it, that will hear it. I mean, this is important. And in the same way, I want to encourage you. I'm going to own a generation above you, but I want to encourage you because you've already stood out as an example. That's why you got the benchmark. What was it? Benchmark? Breakout award? Break. Breakout. Sorry, the breakout award. <laughs> yeah. You already got the award. I mean, people are already recognizing you because you're, you're excelling. I just want to encourage you to maintain that example that people can follow. Time goes by real fast and those kids grow up real fast. And there are going to be a lot of young women and young men that are coming up behind you that we're, we're looking at you and go, I want to be like her. So anyway, you're doing great. Keep it up. Well, the National Alliance, lots of things are changing at the National Alliance, have been changing through the pandemic and even today. And there's just some really exciting things that are on the horizon. And I'm just so glad that you had some time to talk to me so that we could put you out there as an example of somebody who, who did it right. And you can do it right, too. And and we're just real proud of you. Thank you. So kind. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Paul. I hope that doesn't sound condescending. I really no, do. No, it doesn't. No, really of course proud. not. Who doesn't like to hear validation like that? Come on. <laughs> Give me a break. Everyone likes to hear nice things said about them. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, well, goodness. Michelle, been a pleasure. It's been great uh, getting to know you on this podcast, and I hope that you'll do it again someday. And we can maybe check in, check in another time and, and see what's going on in your life. But for those of you listening, I want to thank you for joining us for another Nat Alliance Now. So, Michelle, thanks again. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too.